Caitlin, at the end, that question, if you're not uncomfortable with the question, we can cut it out. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't mind. I think that like it was it was a it was a wild ride. <laughs> it was a <laughs> it was a very strange um, experience to to be the the target of a, one of these sort of social media campaigns where the bots are coming after you and people are coming after you. And anyways, bizarre. This is Conversations with the President, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Understanding, knowing and understanding the community within which you work is a really important component of, of being a competent lawyer, and particularly in the type of practice that, that I uh, have, have been fortunate enough to maintain. I, I think it's important to know what's going on out there. Please welcome my guest today in conversations with the president, Caitlin Urquhart, dedicated Newfoundland and Labrador community builder and ecological advocate. Caitlin is this year's recipient of the Douglas Miller Rising Star Award. The Douglas Miller Rising Star Award recognizes an early career lawyer who is a CBA member in good standing and who exhibits professional excellence, service to the profession, and an outstanding dedication and team spirit in his or her ongoing involvement with the CBA. This award is intended to provide early recognition of a developing talent, honor members who have already demonstrated characteristics of leadership to the profession. In addition to her legal practice in St. John's, Caitlin is an active member of the CBA. She volunteers with the Access to Justice Legal Clinics and is a chair of the board of directors of the St. John's Status of Woman Council. She recently stepped away from her role as a staff lawyer with Equal Justice, Canada's largest environmental law charity, to take on the position as junior commission counsel for the inquiry into the treatment, experience, and outcome of INU in the child protection system. Welcome, Caitlin. Nice to, uh, to see you today. Yes. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. So I'm just going to ask you, as part of my podcast, kind of a series of questions and kind of you know, go through uh, some parts of your career. So let me start just to get to, to know a bit of how you got involved with the CBA and what uh, made you decide to become an active member. I think partly because I've often worked with, uh, or for most of my career, I worked with a small practice. So um, they, and, and the firms that I worked with were always uh, CBA members. Everyone was a CBA member and it creates a great opportunity for building connections and, and networking and, and building relationships with other lawyers. And the reality is that when you're only four or five lawyers, you only practice in certain areas and you often need uh, to have other, other counsel that you can that you know, that you trust, that you can refer to, or you know, you get referrals from, and and you kind of have build those relationships in more sort of social settings, so that you ensure that you have, uh, you know, good working relationships with with without throughout the community, the legal community, and particularly here in St. John's, it's a pretty small community, so it's really helpful to uh, to be able to have those opportunities to to connect and and learn together as well often you know it's through CLEs and those types of things that you you meet people and and uh, what you know and then when you have a file on you you feel more comfortable 
being able to to engage with uh, with each other. And so I that was kind of what initially got me into it. But then I think I realized that the CBA has a, an excellent advocacy component to it, and that was really important to me in terms of ensuring that legislation that's happening federally and provincially is going to be subject to some scrutiny to make sure that we have, um, we as a a group of lawyers who have this immense skill set and have the ability to, um, to influence and and impact in a positive way legislation and to provide that skill set to lawmakers. I think that was something that I was really interested in. So got involved with the executive and the women lawyers branch uh, or women lawyers forum uh, and whatnot, just sort of as an extension of that. I think you did a better job than me giving an elevator pitch of why CBA membership is, is, is valuable, especially for early career lawyers. And, and I appreciate the, uh, the compliment on our advocacy activities is obviously something I'm, I'm very proud of as CBA president. Um, when I, when I did your introduction, we were talking a lot about, uh, about the, obviously your career and what you're, you're currently doing. And I want to touch on that in a second, but you're obviously active in, in, in volunteering. So I'm wondering what your, your average day looks like. Uh, I mean, I think the, the reality of a lot of volunteer work is it kind of ebbs and flows, uh, but I certainly have been fortunate to have employers who've always been supportive um, that I take time when I have board meetings. My St. John's Status Women Council board meetings are, uh, a full afternoon. So I head off at noon and don't come back for the rest of the day, basically, when we have those meetings. Um, and, uh, and there's many committee meetings and various different components of that that happen um, each week. So I, I think sort of day by day, it's not necessarily um, uh, sort of it's not all volunteerism, but certainly throughout each week, there's, you know, I'm dedicating some, some hours to, to volunteer work. And, and that's, uh, as I say, I've always been very fortunate to have folks who, who support that. And I think the reality is that understanding, knowing and understanding the community within which you work is a really important component of, of being a competent lawyer and particularly in the type of practice that, that I uh, have, have been fortunate enough to maintain. I, I think it's important to know what's going on out there. Yeah, that's, uh, again, uh, I, I totally agree with what you said. Volunteerism is obviously something that I've been talking as part of my presidency, the importance of volunteerism. And I think uh, what you're doing is exactly the kind of thing that uh, that uh, that I think makes the CBA a great organization because our members obviously are, are very uh, leading in their profession as lawyers, but obviously giving back to the community. So, I'm interested. I'm interested for a second in this new uh, this new work part of your of your life, which is your your new role as a junior counsel and to the acquire into the treatment experience and outcomes of INU in child protection system. Can you can you maybe give a sense of how that came about and, and kind of what you're doing on the commission and maybe just a bit more about what the the timelines are. On that work? So the uh, inquiry is was just recently launched, and um, we essentially have 18 months to, as the name implies, look into the outcomes, experiences, and treat, or sorry, the treatment outcomes and experiences of INU in the child protection system. And I think that most 
listeners will be aware, of course, of the uh, you know, human rights tribunals' decisions around the chronic underfunding of of First Nations uh, child welfare, uh, of TRC and MMIW uh, findings around the impacts of uh, quote unquote child welfare on Indigenous uh, families and communities. And I think that um, obviously it's going to be a really challenging subject, uh, challenging subject matter to to address. But it is actually prior to working with EcoJustice, um, I did work in uh, child protection as a private practice lawyer, and uh, and sort of saw these uh, many of these challenges firsthand with uh, my clients. So um, very much looking forward to to being able to give voice to the Innu who have uh, been disproportionately impacted and overrepresented in the child protection system for, for a long time and, and help to hopefully create a space for, for reconciliation and healing and ultimately for self-determination uh, on this for, for Innu. And, and uh, for those of you, and I include myself in this group, who are, who are new to learning a bit more about this commission, this was set up by the, the provincial or the federal government? Yeah, so it was, it was uh, established by the provincial government. And um, as I say, just recently called in response to calls from Innu leadership for this type of inquiry following actually the tragic deaths of uh, some youth who had been involved in the child welfare system. So it's, um, that was actually in 2017 that was initially announced and uh, it only very recently came to, uh, came to be launched. So we're glad to see it uh, underway and, and I'm, as I say, looking forward to being involved in that process. Can you, uh, just based on your, you, you touched on this uh, in your last answer, but based on your experience in child protection and obviously the, the work that you're just beginning on this commission, can you talk a bit more about broader-based systemic racism? Um, in in dealing with our, our First Nations communities um, or, or in broader based on what you've seen? I uh, firmly believe that we as lawyers have both a, a moral but also sort of a uh, professional or ethical obligation to know and understand uh, systemic racism, to know and understand the colonial roots of our justice system and how those uh, roots continue to perpetuate uh, and oppress uh, Indigenous as well as Black people of color and other marginalized folks within the, that system. And it's really not uh, sort of good enough anymore to simply say, oh, well, I'm not racist and therefore uh, I'm fine. We all have a responsibility to educate ourselves Um and to understand how those systems are playing out today, um, both with our clients and with our broader community so that we can engage in, in a way that, that responds to and ideally is you know, anti-racist and anti-oppression um, when we're dealing with, within those systems. And, and we have the ability to advocate for change. And uh, I think we all have a responsibility to, to know and understand at the very least what, um, what systemic racism looks like within our current system and, and how, how we might 
be able to each individually bring about some change in that system. I, I completely agree with what you say. And uh, for those uh, listeners, and, and maybe Caitlin, you may have already participated in this as it relates to Indigenous communities specifically, I'd, I'd recommend The Path, which is the, the CBA's uh, program that we launched a year ago. It's, it, it's, it's a great program and speaks about a lot of these issues. So that's a bit of self-promotion on my behalf as, oh, it, as, it, the, uh, as, the, as, as the CBA president. But uh, It's fabulous. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I have to say, I think the highlight for me was the art um, was really cool. It was a very cool way to, to kind of work through, um, work through that, that process. So really loved it. Highly recommend. So I, I kind of want to go back a couple of steps and talk about what got you interested in in the law in the first place, the area that you're dealing with, whether it be child protection or broader, obviously environmentalism is a, is a different issue, but obviously a passion of yours. Kind of, did you know early on that this is an area, or is there? Did you have an epiphany sometime in your your younger life? Uh, I was, I'm one of the, I'm one of those uh, people who knew at a very young age, or at least, uh, you know, I think my parents thought uh, at a very young age that uh, this precocious child should probably go on to, uh, to be a lawyer. And so my, um, certainly my dad always kind of pushed and encouraged me uh, in this direction. And, and I think he was a great believer that, um, law is a tool that can be used to change the world. And, and he always sort of, it, and he's not a lawyer, he's an HR professional. So I don't know where he got this, <laughs> these grand notions of what lawyers do, but. Uh, he probably hired some uh, lawyers during his career. Yeah, certainly. So he, uh, but he, you know, encouraged me. And, and I think that um, it's a really interesting transition as somebody who sort of, uh, as a young person thought, you know, I can do environmental law and I'll, you know, we'll have this opportunity to, to really change, um, as I say, change the world and, and, and make things better. And, uh, and then you kind of go to law school and it's quite rigid and it's, this is how the law is. And, um, it can feel, um, it's just a it's I found that a really challenging experience it, it it felt sort of hopeless you know why am I bothering why am I spending all this time and energy and sleepless nights to to go to law school when nothing's going to change because it's all this is how it is and that's how it has to be um so I was very fortunate coming out of it that I uh was able to maintain some optimism and, and I still do believe that we can use the law to change the world but I do think that we all have to uh, be able to to think critically about the systems and structures that that are there and that exist, and and how we can use them to to make things better for for everyone. Did you, in addition to kind of getting that, um, getting the encouragement from your father, uh, did you do you have any role models, other people, or mentor? I should say mentors or role models. Maybe they're one and the same. Um, along your your career, in terms of of role models, I often draw my sort of greater inspiration from sometimes within the law, I think of, you know, Pam Pometer, um, but, uh, and Naomi Metallic and uh, various others, but I also often sort of think outside of the law and um, uh, there's just, you know, I, I think of, you know, Cindy Blackstock and I think of actually a lot of the incredible activists who I've met on the ground, the folks who were uh, advocating against Mus uh, Muskrat Falls, the, these Indigenous women in Labrador um, who were fighting 
for clean water and for not having uh, methylmercury poisoning in, you know, in their country foods and, and the immense passion that they bring to um, bring to their advocacy, their commitment that's beyond just their own well-being. It's, it's for their families. It's for their grandchildren. It's for the next generations. Um, how will they live? And, and that they're willing to bear the burden and, and go to jail uh, in order to um, make right or to try to protect uh, to protect that, I think is just, I find so inspiring. So I think it's, uh, I draw my inspiration kind of broadly, but there's, there's a lot of really strong women who, uh, you know, who I, I think I, I look up to and, and try to, you know, hope one day that I'll have, you know, have the, a storied career like them. So this may sound like a bit of a strange question, but the other thing that I've been focusing on during my presidency, in addition to talk about volunteerism and, and you just talked about it. So it got me thinking about it is mental health. Uh, and wellness um, of the profession. Obviously, the pandemic has been a challenge for everybody. I'm just, I'm just wondering how have you been able to uh, cope during the during the pandemic, and what uh, coping mechanisms have you used um, in this area? If you don't mind speaking about these issues, for myself, I mean, I try to, um, I try. I look at, honestly, I look at like Fridays for Future and I look at young people and their passion and their, um, you know, commitment to justice. And I, I just find that really inspiring and makes me feel hopeful that I think, uh, you know, that the the world, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. I think when, when I look to, to the next generation and then in terms of, um, so I guess trying to find optimism and hopeful, hopefulness, um, and gratitude. Uh, I know that sounds really cheesy, but I, I do, do find sometimes you just need to say, okay, what's going on in my life that, um, that I, that I'm really grateful for and, and where can I find my piece of happiness? Because there is so much, uh, challenging going on in the world. And then, um, and then I honestly, I then I fight, right? I think you go, there's all these things going wrong in the world and how can I make it better? Like, what can I do? What personal, what actions can I take to disrupt these systems, to reduce harm, to um, support community? Um, just trying to kind of find a place for an outlet for, for that um so it doesn't become despair, right? You kind of turn that that sadness and anger into some action, and and I think that often that's you know the kind of new new term is you know community care, and you're, but but I do find that actually really rejuvenating and rewarding, and that that charges my battery. So I find my volunteer work really actually does play into that, as well as of course like you know making time for spending quality time with your family and, and making time to go for a walk, you know, we were talking about going around Signal Hill earlier, go walk around Signal Hill, uh, you know, get outside and, and get some fresh air and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I will say, you know, I, like everybody else, I think I've had had my days where it's been it's been harder than than others and just try to try to be gentle with myself and and find my way back to that uh, to that passion and commitment to to make things better. Um, 
I have one question to ask you now. It's not related to what we talked about it, but I, but it has to do, I guess, to a certain degree with the world we live in, which has to do with social media. I understand that uh, you got yourself involved in a bit of a of a of a, a social media. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Shitstorm, I guess, is probably the word. Uh, when you guess you put a tweet that says burn it all down in response to the church burnings in Canada in June of 2021. Um, I'm just wondering kind of what your thoughts are, uh, I guess about nine months after that tweet and kind of what has that meant as far as your social media presence and, and your, your continuing involvement in social media. Yeah. I mean, I think even just that, that sort of statement is really interesting because um, the challenge with social media is that you can take a tweet and take it entirely out of context. So my tweet was actually in relation to um, the uh, the shooting uh, death in London and um, was talking about systemic racism and actually had nothing to do with with the churches that actually happened subsequent to my tweets that that churches started to be burned. Um, but this this news media, this uh, right wing, I don't know if you can call it news, whatever it is, website um, posted this. And, and, and there were other folks who were tweeting um, sort of similar things around that time. In any case, just to say that it's really interesting. Um, the challenge of being on social media is that, that you put these things out into the world for people to interpret and they will interpret them however they want to. And uh so in this case, um, A, I'm very fortunate that I have a friend who's in PR and CBA actually was lovely and uh, gave me some, some public relations advice and, and whatnot. So I sort of turned everything off and tried not to read it and just kind of let it pass and uh, changed my Twitter settings so that I don't see any of the bots anymore. So I just ignore if it's not real people, I, I'm not really interested in, in engaging. Um, so I think that in terms of my, so luckily that seems to have all sort of blown over. I can't say the same necessarily for some of the other folks who were involved in that same uh, shit storm. <laughs> they, there were a few other uh, other lawyers as well who all got kind of caught up in it. And, and I think that some of them uh, suffered certainly much more than I did. Um, but in terms of social media, like, I think that something I find so challenging is that, um, it's both this incredible outlet for, and means of communication and means of connection. Um, but it also is, and can be so polarizing. Uh, you have, there's, there's so little space for nuance and, uh, space for, for finding common ground. And it's kind of unlike a, a, a town hall or common square or whatever you want to think of um, in that way, because you don't really have to engage with people um, on a kind of human to human level. And so um, I do think it made me think a little bit more critically about the way that I engage on social media. I still, you know, I'm not giving up my social media. I'm definitely still going to continue, uh, you know, tweeting things that some people might think are controversial or, or not agree with. But uh, I think that that's, it's a tool that I use for advocacy and for communicating around issues that, I, that are important to me. Um, 
but I do think that it, it certainly has this this challenge of like the kind of creating echo chambers and and creating less room for uh, yeah for for kind of common ground and I think that that's it is it's hard to see and obviously it's never nice to be on the the sharp end of <laughs> of one of these campaigns so um, but I, I suppose that's that's sort of the price that you pay to to participate in those conversations. People will read in their own tone, right? So you could write things and, and you can think, oh, well, this is, a, you know, friendly or whatever. And people can read it in totally. I feel like they could read it all in upper caps, like upper, upper K. So, but uh, yeah, I think the, the messages and, uh, you know, I, uh, a CBA president, I have a Twitter account um, and I have a link, I use LinkedIn and, you know, for personal stuff, I use Facebook, but, but I do appreciate everything you said. And, and obviously, I appreciate, you know, being part of a social discourse and having a, have tried to have a conversation, but it, it's not, it's not a town square as, as you mentioned. So, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, I, I think I'll, 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 I'll end where I started, which is congratulations on, on receiving a very well-deserved award for, for your early career contributions. But as I said, I, I know that there's lots of promising things to come and I look forward to hearing all the great things that you do and, and, and continue to still be uh, the advocate you are for uh, Canadian Bar Association membership. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. It's been, been great chatting with you. This is Conversations with the President, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our main CBA channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The bots are coming after you and people are coming after you and... I mean, I can't give it up. It's too, I, you know, as I say, I didn't experience, I think, uh, her, her, um, Haritha, I can't remember her last name. She is uh, on the West Coast and she was a BC Law Society venture, I think, and she got like removed from her position. It was like some, yeah, so there's some people really did actually, like, I, as I say, I didn't really have any real consequences from from it and I think partly because if you actually read the stuff it wasn't what they were saying it was but uh but uh, yeah some people did have it was a pretty yeah it was pretty ugly it was pretty it was pretty ugly so I can appreciate that some of those folks probably don't want to be on Twitter anymore especially now that Elon Musk owns it and they won't have any content moderation <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone there, actually. I should have gone there, uh, but uh, I guess I didn't. <laughs> subtle jab, subtle jab. <laughs> I don't need to be slandering Elon Musk on uh, on the CBA podcast. Yeah. <laughs>